Am I making any sense? All right, friends, we've got another episode of Am I Making Sense? Today I have with me a very special guest, author of Stutterer Interrupted, The Comedian Who Almost Didn't Happen, and Once Upon an Accommodation. She is a comedian, writer, and activist, the Bay Area's native daughter, Nina G. Nina, thank you so much for joining me today on Am I Making Sense? It's good to have you. Thank you you for having me. I appreciate being here. Nice. So um, before we actually get into writing, comedy, and everything else that you're doing, I wanted to get into something that I read in your book, and I was like, oh, we have to talk about this on the podcast. So it's a two-part question. One, what is your favorite pinball machine of all time? And two, what is the pinball machine that you've spent the most money on in estimation? Well, I, okay. So the two favorites that I have are Junkyard and ACDC. So those are my two favorite. Okay. Have have you played those? And, And you seem to... Um, I'm a pinball guy. Feelings about pinball. You are. Yes, oh, I'm a pinball amazing. guy. I am not. I am not a good pinball player, but I've mm-hmm. always loved pinball. Um, and I so I played ACDC. I haven't played yet. What was the first one that you named? Junkyard. Junkyard. I have not played that one. Okay, um, I have to explain that one. That one okay. is a unique one. But I want to hear first about you and your interest in all of this. Sure. Sure. Yeah, so I'm a pinball guy. I wasn't originally, as a kid, I would say I wasn't into pinball. But then around, I would say late, uh, probably mid-middle school, when the, I was more into arcades. But when the games like Street Fighter II, Mortal Kombat, these games started coming out, I, I couldn't keep up. And so yeah. I moved over to the pinball section, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. So most of my money was spent on pinballs. Um, and then as far as my favorite pinball machine, it's Twilight Zone. And um, my, the pinball machine, this is pretty pathetic, but the pinball machine I've spent the most money on was Terminator 2. And the reason Terminator 2 is because it was by my school in high school. And so even though it didn't have a plunger, it just had the little trigger thing, which obviously if you play pinball, you want to have that skill shot um, early on. But it's just a, you know, you pull the trigger and the ball's out. If I remember correctly, I haven't played it in years, but I spent so many quarters on that, which for the listeners, you have to understand, usually with pinball, there's the one you love and then the one you spend a lot of money on because it's conveniently located to you, right? Yes. Yes, completely. And, and where was your high school? What high school did Granada you go to? Granada High School in Livermore. In Livermore. Okay. Yeah. So where was this machine at at like a mouse or something no you know what that's a good question i want to say it was inside a video store next to a deli so there was a you know we used to rent vhs and so um inside of there they had a couple pinball tables and i think it was in there which was right next to a place where we would eat so people would get their sandwiches and then i'd go in and a couple of us would play pinball okay How, how old are you you're 40-something? I'm, I'm 44. 44. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So Terminator 2, that was probably what, like 91, mm-hmm. 92. So I was probably a junior in high school. 
that all makes sense. And also that is the time when video games made that turn oh, yeah. where it just started to get way too much. It's too hard for some people. It's too yeah. hard for me. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yes. So Junkyard. It, junkyard. Tell me about that one. Okay. So Junkyard was probably like a mid nineties creation. Okay. And um, I love both the story and the arc of it, as mm-hmm. well as the skill of it. And most of all, it's total nonsense. Ooh. It's nonsense all the way. Yeah. And so the goal of the game is to collect junk um, because it's a junkyard. So you collect junk to build a spaceship to go to outer space to fight crazy Bob. So like the end game is to fight crazy Bob. And I've only gotten a crazy Bob once. I've only fought him once, but, and so, and also I, I'm not sure of this, but I believe that it's my own interpretation of this is Mm. that it's called junkyard because it's the junk from different games. So you'll look at it and there'll be something from this game and from this game and from this game. So it's like a junkyard of a bunch of different, but I don't know about that. That sounds about right. I mean, everyone has to understand the uninitiated of pinball. There's so many layers to pinball. You know, and the people who play pinball are so dedicated and so hardcore. And the guys who make pinball, it's intricate, sophisticated. I'm glad you said story because that's what a lot of people don't even realize is that there's stories to these things. And so there's a, um, here in, I'm in Campbell now. And um, there is, I don't know how familiar you are with South Bay, but we used to have a theater here called Gaslight Theater. Mm. And it was, um, and it's in downtown Campbell. I used to go to punk shows there, um, but it was closed for probably like 10 or 15 years. And it was just nothing, which was a shame. And um, a bar and arcade moved in called Level Up. And they have a number of pinball machines there. And I'm trying to get my kids, my two daughters into pinball. So we'll go there from time to time, but they're a little more drawn to a couple of the arcade games in there. So they'll play pinball and I'll try and tell them like, okay, hit that bumper or try to get there. But they're just, you know, kids trying to keep the ball in play. Um, Yeah. And I forgot how quickly pinball eats up quarters. (laughs) Yes, totally. And that's where if you guys go to, I mean, eventually go to, you can't now, but there is the Pacific Pinball Museum in Alameda. And I used to do shows there. Um, Great place, great people run it. But you pay 15 bucks and everything's free. Uh, after that heard. so yeah. it's and, and it has the old ones the new one like it has every like every room is the different year so um so you can get a lot of really good play in in different modes because the old ones didn't have as much bing, 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 bing. right and you can also um like one some of the ones in the 70s um, that I grew up with when my when my family went to Tahoe, uh-huh. like I can still play those there, which Ballies? is really great. Like the ball, yes, yes, yeah, okay. like the old Playboy and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah, good nice. stuff. Nice. Yeah, I the guy I used to play with in my late twenties, early thirties. We used to try and go out at least once a week and find um, 
cool pinball tables. And he was on a forum. I wasn't on the forum, but he would find out where, where they were. But he was always trying to get me to go to the museum. But I, unfortunately, I never went. Um, and now I have another acquaintance um, who he, had, he actually collects pinballs. I didn't realize how, how expensive these things are. Um, Six grand up. Yep. He recently bought Iron Maiden. And I don't know, I think, I want to say the number 9,000 9, to buy it. He's, he's well-to-do. He's a well-to-do individual. But uh, yeah, I didn't realize they were that expensive. And of course, there's maintenance to them and whatnot. But um, yeah, no, that was cool. When I read that in your book, I go, oh, I got to make a point to talk about this. Because uh, yeah, that's um, coming across another pinballer is always a good feeling. What? Um, yes, yes. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, if you ever see NAG, N-A-G, on a pinball m machine, that's me. Nice. What was, did you say you were ranked on one? What, what was that game? Oh, um, oh, no, I'm ranked on a bunch all across oh, the Bay Area. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like, you get your name on the board. Oh, and it's that stuck. You've got it there. Yeah. Oh. Well, yeah, until someone else wins it. No, but um, there is the International Pinball Federation. I don't know, whatever it is, but you play in competitions and oh. get ranked. And oh. so I haven't been in a competition in a really long time, mostly because I was writing a book, and it's hard yeah. to write a book and yeah. be a competitive pinball player. Um, yeah. <laughs> so. That's actually, that's a perfect um, transition. But yeah, I, I am quite good at it. Nice. That, that's a good uh, transition because one thing I wanted to talk, uh-oh, oh no. Okay, cool. So actually that was a very good transition right there. So, uh, you know, underneath, your memoir is beautiful. I love it. Very funny um, and also informative and relatable. I, I, I enjoyed the memoir a lot. Um, but throughout it all, I'm thinking, wow, You've written uh, Stutter Interrupted, which is a memoir. You've written a child's book. You've written your dissertation and your comic. You're a prolific writer, Nina. So what I'm wondering is, <laughs> what I'm wondering <laughs> on that is, what have you found to be your most challenging project that you've written? And then do you have any tips for coping with motivation and writer's block? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I think like, well, the children's book wasn't that hard because mm -hmm. it was all in my head and I just had to get it out. Uh, and so that, and so that wasn't so bad. And also, um, mean Dave, I don't know if you've had him on the show, yeah, but he's he been was on. the illustrator okay. of the children's book. And when I was writing it way back in 2000 and 14 or whenever it was, I like specifically had his, it's his stick figures in my head okay. because I wanted a very simple book um, that a kid could feel that they could relate to and uh, like, and, and that they could even create. And um, so, so that all worked out really, really well. Um, the, it's a memoir, I guess, like, I, I don't know what the challenge there there's so many challenges that I don't know if there's one specific one, but I think what it was, was that I had been writing it or toying with the idea of mm -hmm. 
writing it for a really long time for like six, six years. And I would write a little bit here. I dictate some of it here and have somebody transcribe it. Cause I also have the, the, the dyslexia in, mm-hmm. in, it, in addition to stuttering. So writing yeah. is just a big pain in the ass wow. and I hate it. <laughs> so okay. um, I would dictate some of it to a friend who would then transcribe it. Um, sometimes I would sit and I'd r- write it. So there were lots of different modes that I did it in, but it wasn't for my memoir. It wasn't until I had a title, did it all come to together? Because for me, when I talk about my dyslexia, it's like, I'm talking about it from a kid point of view, because so much of that was from, from my um, childhood and it still impacts me now, but the formative stuff happened when I was a kid, but with the stutter, because so stuttering is a semi-apparent disability, so people interact with it, where right. people don't interact with my de- de- dyslexia. So the voice that I had with them was a different voice. So when I uh, got the idea for the title, so Stutter Interrupted, everything came together. And I was like, okay, I've been writing this, I've been writing this, I've been writing this, I have this on my blog, I did this, this, and this. Then it started to come together. And a big motivation for that was after Trump got elected, there was so much as a disabled woman, I was like, this is messed up, this is Mm. messed up, this is messed up. But where are you going to say that stuff? And I didn't want to fight about it. And I have a lot of very conservative family members that I've learned from talking to them that you can't necessarily change people's Mm. minds and hearts through fighting with them. But you can by just telling people what your story is and them kind of globbing on from there. Yeah. The high road in these, I'm, my family's the same way. It's a mixed family in many different ways, but also politically and just mm-hmm. ideologically. So I, I try to, I think people who come from that kind of environment also tend towards making jokes, right? You write about it in your book too, a, a little bit about how, you know, sense of humor, it, it was something that was there for you to like, help disarm things. And I think in families, especially in the last, I would say not just the last election cycle, I would say it's been around probably since the, who knows, it could be my age. It could be the way I've interpreted things as an adult, maybe even as a kid, the Reagan era was very dividing in families, but I would say mid two thousands is when, you know, some of the family had this, this point of view and that's how the whole of America has gone. Right. Um, Yes. So you kind of got to navigate that with jokes and also walking away to go see what's in the fridge every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And also to know the uh, absurdity of stuff too. I mean, like, you know, I had a family member who thought Obama was going to take away his guns and I was like, all you have are skeet shooting guns. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Like really? Yeah. Those, you, yeah, those clay pigeons are still going to be getting shot. Don't worry about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so in your book, you talk about being raised uh, with comedy, right? And I think yes. this is really progressive and really cool that your, um, your mom, you guys went to go see uh, Richard Pryor at Sunset Strip when you were nine years old. Um, yes, it, it, in the movies. It was his yeah. film. So. Right, 
Right. But still, I mean, it's Richard Pryor and that particular special. I mean, he didn't pull any punches in it. So, um, so your sense of humor was very sophisticated um, from, an, from an early age. But then you write about how when you were a teenager, maybe around 16 or something, how you kind of felt like you wanted to be a stand-up comic, you wanted to be a stand-up comic, and then, you know, the world kind of was happening. You go, well, it's not for me because I'm this, that, or the other. Whatever label you were getting externally. And then you went, and you, you know, went to school, became really accomplished, mm -hmm. and then eventually... Fast forward to your first open mic that you tried um, in San Francisco. I want to know about that time in between. What was your relationship to comedy? Were you still going to clubs? Were you going to open mics as a, uh, just someone to watch? Or was it just something you were kind of looking um, from a distance, maybe on television, catch stand-up comedy every once in a while? Um, like, what, what, what was it to you through those years? Um, so I... Aside from the open mics that I participated in, I've never been to an open mic as an audience member. And I think you saying that I have a very sophisticated comedy palette um, makes me know why I didn't do that. <laughs> so I uh, would want to see good comedy, not necessarily yeah. in the raw of people who... Uh, um, yeah. So, but I, like, I started going to comedy clubs, like the first one that I, well, I was supposed to have gone to the other cafe when I was 11 years old, because I won tickets to see Will Durst on the radio in a joke telling contest, which I won. And then I was supposed to go to a show, but my parents ran late and they were afraid to go in late with the kid because the comic would make fun of us. And so we drove all the way out to San Francisco, yeah. couldn't find parking uh, even back in the eighties. Yeah, and been so bad. they brought me, it's always been bad. And so they brought me to go see uh, a Martin short film instead. Um, so I was always very, very bitter about that, that that would have been my first time. But my other first times were when I was in high school, and I went to shows and my parents would bring me to Cobbs in the, and in the punchline um, and shows at the Warfield or the Americas. What's, what's the one in the Tenderloin on um, Geary? American. Uh, I have to pass on that one. Yeah. You don't know anything. Yeah. Um, so, I'm worthless, um, Nina. You're worthless when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, so... Um, so yeah, so I, I, I always went and then even, and that was when I was actively wanting to be a comic, but yeah. then once that dream died and it dried and it died because I didn't think someone who stuttered could be a stand-up comic. So I moved to other things. Um, but I would go to clubs through, you know, in like my high school community club college days every every once in a while later on I started to become in the so I graduated high school in 1991 um and that was about the time that Comedy Central started and I was mm -hmm. so excited there was gonna be it was gonna be like the MTV mm -hmm. of comedy and I just thought it'd be like non-stop stand up mm. 24 hours a day yeah. like, but but it wasn't it yeah. kind of watered down comedy in a way that made the 90s not so great uh -huh. so 
in the 90s, I kind of went back to the historical comedy um, and just kind of done it. it, And I think I went more academic Mm -hmm. um, where I watched a lot of Marx Brothers and listened to Lenny Bruce and Bob Uh. Newhart and was a big Fanny Bryce person. Like I I was more into that stuff. So when I went to college, anytime that I had to write a paper, like I found a paper a few months ago that I wrote for an English class that was like that because I always tested Beb, Beb badly. So mm-hmm. I had to always take a remedial English class. Right. And the one that I took, they wanted us to do a paper on anything. And I wrote about comedy in the First Amendment. And, oh, and like Andrew Dice Clay yeah. and, you know, like, like the history of that. Um, so anytime that I could academically write about comedy, I did. And probably the best paper I did was looking at male masculine, or I guess that is redundant, but male masculinity for the Marx Brothers, Lenny Bruce, and no, I guess it was more like what they meant culturally for their pop, for, 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 for their time, but looking at Jerry Lewis, Marx Brothers, and Lenny Bruce, and mm-hmm. the cultural s- significance that they expressed. So I kind of went like that, but always, always, always loved comedy when the Chappelle show c- came out, and I wasn't doing comedy. Like, I would just sit, especially in a depression, I would just sit and watch mm-hmm. a, a marathon of that. What's your go-to when you're feeling, like if you just pull up YouTube or Netflix or Amazon Prime, what's your go-to if you're feeling bummed out and you need comedy? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that because no one knows who he is, but he was so great. Uh, Brother the Theodore, have you heard of him? No, but I'm going to write him down right now. Write him down. Okay. Um, he, he was on the Letterman all the time when I was a kid and like if, if I knew he was going to be on, then I would watch him. Um, he has an album that you can get on iTunes, but there's there's every single Letterman he, he's ever done is on YouTube thanks to this guy who record who like puts out videos of like every single Andy Kaufman experience. Okay. Or. Uh, uh, appearance ever on Letterman. So like this guy's great that he does this. So there's brother the Theodore and brother Theodore hella dark. Like everything Mm. is death and destruction and like, you know, emo in terms of emo music way before that existed. There was this guy, um, and just very clever, very well written, and has this persona that you think he's a Nazi. And in fact, his mm-hmm. family was annihilated by the Nazis. He's oh. the only one who lived. So he has this incredible history where he was in concentration camps and he came wow. here not knowing any English. And he was a janitor at Stanford and didn't know any English. And then eventually, came into this 
world of comedy, which was kind of like not really stand up, mm-hmm. but um, but really interesting stuff. And so when I'm in a bad mood, I like to be with somebody else who's in a bad mood. And that's uh, what he is. Yeah, I have um, <clears throat> my my humor is gallows humor. Mm-hmm. And so the more off putting or um, taboo it can be the actually the better I, I feel about it and I laugh and my household is completely different right the only other person in my family who shares the gallows humor is my mother and then mm-hmm. kind of my little brother um, but like I I married into like my wife she doesn't really even get stand-up let alone dark gallows humor and so I'll joke about something and you know it'll just be like how could you too say soon that? too yeah, soon <laughs> I got to check this guy out. And actually that leads into a good um, question. So I do this thing where I I do a question of the week where I go around to my open mics and I ask fellow comics um, a a question about comedy, right? And usually it's really light stuff, but I've had this question in the back of my head since I started the segment. And I think you're the right person to first try this question on because um, number one, from what I read in your book, I saw you... um, mentioned a little bit about it. And I also have a theory or not a theory, a thesis I'm kicking around my head that there's an ingredient that I don't want to say all great comedians need. I don't think everyone needs this, but I would say Mm -hmm. it's, this ingredient is overly abundant in, in many comics. And so what I want to know is, do you think self-hatred, self-loathing is a necessary ingredient for good comedy? I don't. Okay. And I think, I think that self-hatred gets confused with uh, self-awareness. Interesting. Okay. And I'd say that because I think self-awareness is where good comedy is. And I think that people may misinterpret that as self-hatred because when you can make jokes about yourself, that is a very, um, it's, it, it, it is turning yourself inward. And, and, mm-hmm. and there, I think it was Freud who said that um, depression is anger, tor- um, anger turned it, it inward. And, and that, that inward struggle between depression and anger it's kind of like two sides of the same coin and what makes me think that i'm more right than the self-hatred side Mm -hmm. is you look at eddie pepitone and Mm -hmm. are are you familiar with this act and i'm I'm pretty sure i've seen some of his stuff before but i'm not really that aware of all of the stuff he has going on and so one of my favorite bits of his, and it's probably my top 10 ever, is he talks about how he could be heckled by someone in the audience, but it's not that big of a thing. But what if someone who knew his internal struggles mm-hmm. was the one heckling him? And so he heckles himself and he gets into the audience and he goes around and he yells at the stage and heckles himself in on things like 
your it's your mother had this issue with you because of this and now you're doing you know like uh, it's all these very uh, internal things that could be looked at as self-hatred but i think it's self-awareness and and i think that when comedians can become more self-aware I think the humor can come from that. But I think we do the self-hatred thing, which I think is a little bit hacky. And I think that's where the hackiness comes in. Because mm -hmm. people, like, we would hope that someone like Louis C.K., um, that it's more self-awareness than self-hatred. But then yeah. people, you know, like everybody is like, oh, it smells like shame and potato chips or, you know, whatever that right. hacky love line is yeah we we interpret that as self-hatred but it should come from a place of awareness that's very fascinating you said that because um your bffs with mean dave yes and i had him on the podcast before and i had asked him about um i forget the specific question but basically i the question was around can you um are you going to be a better performer if you don't give a fuck? And mm -hmm. his response was, if you're a stand-up, he goes, punk rock, you cannot give a fuck. There's, there's a lot of areas, a lot of expressions where you cannot give a fuck. But he said, in stand-up, you have to care. And, mm -hmm. he, he, and I said, what really, even when you have someone like Andy Kaufman, who's coming from left field on so much of his stuff, and he said, oh, no, and his, this is his opinion, right? But he said, no, no, Andy Kaufman was very aware of what, in his opinion, Andy Kaufman was very aware of what's going on. And it wasn't like he was just not giving a fuck. Well, and also Andy Kaufman, when he was on Le Le Letterman, he asked Letterman for the hate mail that they would receive on his act. Mm. <laughs> like if, if you don't give a fuck, you don't give a fuck. Yeah. But you know, like, like for me, like I, like I kind of see that as he would have read all of the YouTube comments and mm -hmm. taken them all in. <laughs> well, so it's the know, same kind of thing. Yeah, you talked about the comments you get in on your YouTube page, and you even posted some. Are not po posted. See, I'm in this social media brain now. But you even uh, included it in your uh, book. But you know, as a person who's putting stuff out there, both my podcast and my YouTube um, channel, I want bad comments so bad because I want a segment around hate mail. And you know, mm -hmm. I don't know if this is a self-hatred thing, maybe it's a self-awareness thing, but I wanna be able to go on my podcast and read, this is what people think of me. And it's just like the worst stuff. Because to me, that, that's where the entertainment starts. And again, it might be gallows humor, it might be self-deprecating yeah. or maybe self-awareness, but like I'm waiting <laughs> for that day when I can turn trolls comments to me into uh whatever i'm putting out right like you get the hate and then you put it back out and hopefully you spin yeah. it in in some kind of funny or entertaining way yeah, yeah. no i i think you want attention is what that is right bingo <laughs> there we go i think that's it um so i wanted to also talk about when it comes to joke writing you had or not just joke writing, but delivering jokes. Um, you have a uh, part in the book where you talk about your dad and he coached your softball league. 
And your dad, um, again, go read the book. Anyone listening to this, go check out Stutter or Interrupted. And you have a part in there about your dad kind of just very bluntly and matter-of-factly, okay, guys, I'm hard of hearing, so you're going to have to yell. And as a child, that was embarrassing for you. But the way it went off is like everyone just kind of, okay, they moved on with their day. Now, I want to do, I want to ask you about, that's almost a metaphor for me. I think I'm still new to the comedy thing, right? So it's been a year and about a year and a half. And what I'm finding, if I've learned anything, it's that when you say something, it better be something that is, you're really confident in saying, you really believe in, even if it technically is wrong thinking, you're going to follow the logic through with your belief system. So do you think um, your dad saying that and everyone just accepting it and delivering maybe an off color joke or a really macabre joke, it's the same principle where you just like, no, this is what's on my mind right now. This is what I'm about. And this is what I'm going to throw your way. Is there similarity between the two? Um, I, I'm not sure. I would have to think more on that. I think the parallel that I always see is putting my stuttering up front and getting it mm -hmm. out of the way. Um, and addressing it. So like, okay, there's this thing. I know about it. You know about it. Let's move on to dick mm -hmm. jokes. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, so speaking of Can your I father, ask you a question? Yeah, yeah. Can I ask? Okay, because I've been thinking about this. And if this takes us off track, you can edit the whole thing out and we don't have to even talk about no, it. No, the name of the <laughs> podcast is Am I Making Sense? I'm okay. used to nonsense okay. to conversation. I'm used to this conversation okay. going every which way. So yeah, give it to me. Okay. What do you got? Okay, I was thinking two things. Mm -hmm. One is how is the pandemic going to change comedy, both yeah. in terms of performance but also in terms of will be will we now be less offended? So that is question A. Question B, and this is just more of my fear, is Eddie Murphy stopped doing comedy and you know he's considered like the best comic ever, 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 ever. He had the content, he had the universality, he had the actions and the act outs, he had the whole package. Yeah, And he said he stopped do doing comedy because he got out of that mindset uh -huh. and out of practice. And he hadn't picked up the mic in like a long, long time. And everyone mm -hmm. wants him to be f funny Eddie Murphy. Um, uh, is is stand-up going to suck in a year and a half when we're out of this and we can start do doing shows? And what will that take? I'm glad you brought that up. That was on, we, that was definitely on the list because you're also a producer. And so I've been thinking about that too. How, um, well, so let's, so let's talk with, um, I guess let's address number one. How is it going to change? Well, if you look at the economics of it, this is op all opinions. This is all opinions. I know nothing, but the economics of it is that, um, most for of most comedy for my world right now is open mics, which means dive bars. As far as I know, dive bars are a cash flow business. It's already been three weeks without cash, and we know we're going to go another four mm -hmm. weeks without cash. So, so now you're talking about are for, are people going to be allowed to be kicked out of their business? Because I'm pretty sure they're not going to be able to pay their rent. Like that's that's a given. So ultimately, I guess without going into too much detail, 
the mm-hmm. venues are going to dry up. So how does that affect stand-up comedy? Well, yeah, people are going to be, mm-hmm. I think people are definitely going to be worse. We're not going to get our at-bats um, that we need to progress. I think the Zoom stuff is keeping, I think it'll keep the community alive. Will it keep um, people sharp with the joke? I think it may, but, but the bottom line is, this is actually even just bigger than, than comedy. Right. So this is, we're talking about, we're talking about NBA. We're talking about MLB. We're t- I don't know that I want to go to a concert for another year. T- I mean, I'm sure the vaccine will come out and then this will be one thing, but the problem is our psyche has changed to where, holy shit, really bad communicable diseases can just jump out and like, it could be catastrophic, right? So do we want to be mingling with thousands of people? I mean, think about when you go to a ball game, like a baseball game or football. Think about how many things you touch. Think about people coughing. I've been coughed on so many times at concerts that mm-hmm. I don't even think about it. It's just like, or smoke blown in your face, all this other stuff. I think about that now. And, and literally, I didn't even think of it two weeks ago. <laughs> like, it wasn't really, it didn't hit me until Italy. Um, once they start talking about Italy and things that were going on there, I go, Oh no. Mm-hmm. And then within like, I feel like 48 or 72 hours of, you know, the U S media really knowing what's going on in Italy. And then, you know, our doctors and researchers started doing the, the modeling and it was like, uh, Hey, everyone just stay home. Um, I, I think probably, um, I think probably, I don't want to be a pessimistic, but I, I think it'll probably get worse. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, the fact that Amazon workers are striking, um, I, I support them. I have union family members. And I, I mean, I, I got to always support the worker, but at the same token, that's a huge supply line that we've become dependent on. So I don't know, Nina, I, it's a lot of stuff I, I think about, but I, I have no control over. Um, I, I, I think it's going to definitely negatively impact. I was talking with Mike McGee. Uh, we podcasted on Monday. I don't know if you've ever met him, but he's pretty. He's oh yeah. Pretty, great guy. Great guy. Awesome guy. And, um, he was kind of saying, well, on, on top of us, maybe not having venues as readily available, it's going to, the hobbyist level in which I am a hobbyist, but he says the bad, the bad performers will probably weed out because there is going to be such a large gap that people are going to recheck their motivation. Why am I doing this? And a lot of people are going to say, um, well, you know what, what's most important. It's my family and my career. And I was going out late a couple times a night, which by the way, I'm describing myself 100% to the T here, right? I'm going out three or three or four, two or three nights a week. Is that still important to me? So we'll probably, I think the, for lack of a better term, we'll use it loosely, the talent pool is gonna thin out. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's gonna rely on the really hardcore um, comics who are also producers, which you've produced shows. Mm -hmm. And and part of the um, podcast, I wanted to talk with you. Okay, kinda. Well, uh, what what are your, what are your tips? Do you think when all this is over, you're gonna try and produce a show? And if so, how would you tackle going about that? Yeah, um, I, 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 
mostly to produce the comedians with the disabilities acts because I mm -hmm. can choose the people I can choose the goal of it um, and um, and it's very specific to a thing mm -hmm. um, I, I I don't I I when I've produced shows, it's like the same people every, every okay. month. <laughs> it's like, Oh, that's, that's not really, that's not the goal of a show. Um, so I, I don't really like do, doing that, that kind of work. Mm -hmm. Um, I am trying to produce some zoom stuff just because yeah. I know people want to take their minds off of this, but yep. I'm really trying to figure out like, this is a different voice. Like mm -hmm. me on this podcast is yeah. not, uh, nope. it, 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 this is me and this is yeah. how I naturally am. But when I am performing comedy on Zoom, that is not that it's the connection piece for me is the most important part of comedy hmm. and connecting in a different way just does it, like it feels so artificial. And I think people who perform and they can block out the audience they're probably doing great on zoom yeah. <laughs> but but those of us who really need that it's it's a different game and so yeah. i'm trying to to figure that out and so trying out different things just to relieve boredom and stress for other pe people mm -hmm. and for me to figure out what my voice is in this because I feel I have to redevelop that. Yeah. I, I'm a big, so this, it's so ironic, this thing. I, I, um, so just my line of work, I'm on Zoom calls. Probably 50% of my day is Zoom mm -hmm. calls. And, it's, and before it was Zoom, it was WebEx. And before it was WebEx, there was other things, right? So my life has been on Zoom. And going into the dive bar and telling jokes to real people, that was... That was the escape. I looked forward to that. And now it's like, wait a minute. Now my hobby and my profet, the two are converging. I go, I, I have to podcast through Zoom now. And now if I want oh, quote unquote mic right. time, I have to be on Zoom. And so I haven't done a Zoom room yet. I, I, and they're getting so crowded now that I'm with you. I'm going to start my own. I think next week on probably next Tuesday, I'll start my own. Um, and probably, I, I don't know how big they're getting. I was looking at screenshots of... Um, and uh, it looks like a lot of people are showing up to these things and not everyone's going to get time. Unlike Woodham's on a Monday night. Right. So um, yeah, I'll probably start my own, see how it feels. And, and I will say this. So I've, I've been podcasting for comedy about a year now, but I've been podcasting in general for about two and a half years and podcasting really feeds um, it, it feeds something that we all have, at least for me, I'm speaking for myself. It's a really good thing to stay connected to other people and other ideas. Um, and so I'm promote, heavily promoting anyone out there who even is kind of considering podcasting, start a podcast, uh, preferably one where you're talking to other people, because anytime we were talking about before we started recording that how I'm doing good now, but sometimes I get these anxiety moments where I'm just like, oh my God, what, what's going on? You know? I feel so much better after these podcasts. Um, so, you know, everyone, I think everyone in the comedy community should, if you're not hosting an open mic thing, at least try and podcast with someone. Super easy to get content out. You can get it out on um, uh, Anchor FM, I think is the free one that's pretty hot amongst comedians now. Um, 
You should do a show like a how-to on how to put up a po podcast. I'm, I'm going to do 15 minutes. So here's my idea. I, I was kicking around that idea this weekend and I just, I got busy with things um, this week, but I want to say, um, I want to do a YouTube video on how to post a podcast in less th time it takes to watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. So I think the average Curb Your Enthusiasm is like 28 minutes. And so yes. um, I think, I think I could get a podcast up online for free to all the major feeds in under the time it takes to watch a Curb Your Enthusiasm. So that watch for that video. It'll be out within a week, maybe two on my YouTube channel. That's great. Yeah. Um, I do, I wanna ask you one more thing about, um, so you're a professional, you're an academic on top of uh, a comedian. One of the things I've had difficulties uh, with reconciling is um, I, I don't know if I would call it shame, but there's just like a privacy wall that I have in place where the people in my professional life know nothing about my podcasting and nothing about my stand-up comedy. And I really want to keep it that way. How have you uh, been able to reconcile? Because obviously you have a career that you're going to stay in. You like it, but you also want to be a comedian. And as a comedian, obviously we have to touch on the, top, the taboo. We have to touch on, like I said, the macabre sometimes if we want to. Um, mm -hmm. and we kind of live in a can cancel culture. H how have you reconciled, um, th these two parts of your life? Well, I don't know how much of a cancel culture we're going to live in now, um, with the epidemic, because I personally mm. think that we're going to reprioritize what we're offended by. Mm. Um, I think right now we we are at the most offensive that that you can be and then information and the classification of things that we run into from our politicians or, uh, around this that is also offensive so if you make fun of stuttering or something that i would have been really pissed off at two months ago i've kind of relaxed like i, I kind of yeah. i like do i have food in the <laughs> in, in the pantry like <laughs> that's my main issue now <laughs> yeah 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 that's funny. Yeah. I, I, so I, I, I was, I was talking with someone, I forget it was on a podcast, but I was advocating for that same view. I go, do you think it's going to settle down and people will worry less about, um, less about the words and more about the intention, right? Because a lot of times the word, the words aren't the problem. The intent is the, is the problem or not even the intent. What am I trying to say here? So there the, are people. It's the soul of it. Like the, it's 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 the soul. It's it's the person, not yes. the content. Yes, there are people who use hateful words, and they are hateful people, and there are people who use what are categorized as hateful words, but are loving people. If that makes sense. Yes. They use a taboo no. word, but they're not. They're not that. They're a person. No. And, and, and the best example of that was Don Rickles, who mm -hmm. everybody loved. And he made fun of everybody. Yes. And that is, and, and I talk about this in the book, which is if yep. you're making fun of everybody, but you don't make fun of me Bingo. because I'm disabled, mm -hmm. then fuck you. <laughs> I want to be made, made, made fun of too. Um, and so it's, it's that. And so, so there's that piece there that I think is important for us to distinguish. And I think mm -hmm. um, 
I think we're going to have a lot more capacity to deal with that kind of stuff. And I wonder if the country being obsessed about Joe Exotic is a step toward that because mm. would they have found this stuff to be offensive a month ago? I don't know. Mm. But now everybody's on the same team, like, oh, Joe Exotic. Ah. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to me how that process is and continues to e evolve. And and I would love to know what was the impact of the Spanish flu on mm. humor back then or the Black Plague yeah. um, or, you know, any of that stuff. I would love to know some of the history of that. And I've been trying to do research on it, but um, then I start to watch Curb Your Enthusiasm and I, you know. Nice. Stop. <laughs> what season are you on with Curb? Oh, I've seen every single episode. Okay. Um, so, yeah, yeah, so this one here. I dropped out around, I think, season five, the first go around, not because I didn't like it. I wanted it, but, you know, life gets mm. busy. So this was back in the early 2000s or mid 2000s. I dropped out and then I've had HBO and I always saw it. And, I, I, and then I realized um, I was talking with my, my buddy Jacob and he said he was watching season 10. I go, season 10? And I guess he just takes large gaps. I guess Larry David just takes large gaps where he won't have a Curb Your Enthusiasm for a mm. while. Um, but so I'm still rewatching. So I'm, I, I'm starting on four. Um, but I'm going to go, I'm going to follow all the way through 10 um, to catch up. And I was, I've been watching it and I just go, man, this guy is such a genius. I mean, I don't, did you know those early seasons? I think one, two, and three, it was just mostly improv, meaning he would write a framework yeah. of the scene and the people would go. So what you're getting is kind of a raw, back and forth between two actors and the scenes always work. I mean, for me, there's yeah. never, Oh no, always, always work. Mm -hmm. So hilarious. Um, Oh, this is an important one. This is an important one. You wrote a fan letter to Mike Myers. Yes. And you yes. were talking about sprockets which by the way, one of the all time great skits, thanks for calling that out in your book because I had forgotten about it and then you called it out and I said, oh, I gotta go YouTube that again. Um, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but you told him Wayne's World would be the hit. Now, I don't know how old you were at this time, but what did 16. you see? How old? 16. How did you know that? Or how, what, what made you think that? <laughs> Um, I mean, I don't know. I think it was World, one of the first two skits Brock was toward the end, and so that would have been. Um, but I think Wayne's World just had more of it, it was more re relatable than yeah. Sprockets was. Yeah. Um, so Sprockets was very niche. And if you like Sprockets, then you will also like Brother Theodore because it's that dark, weird place um, that, you, that your mind needs to go to every once in a while. Yeah. Um, you know what, can you, I, right now, I got, I got a lot of- um, The robot. The robot, yeah. It's about 40 minutes. Oh no, it's about 50 minutes. 
Okay, I just unplugged and plugged back in. How's it and now? You're back to human, human needs. Yeah. All right. Um, you know what? I'm looking at Brother Theodore. I do recognize the face, but I, I, I have no recollection of what he did. But here's what I find interesting. He, he's a German guy. You, you usually don't think of Germans as in comedy. But I guess Jewish, though. Jewish. Jewish. There we go. Yeah. Okay. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that explains it. All right. Yeah. No, I'm going to definitely go um, check him out. Uh, yeah. So we're coming up on an hour right now. Let me think. Let me go through my notes here and um, see what else we have to talk about here. Um, we hit on producing. So mm -hmm. you're going to try it. You're going to go for it. Talk to me about the Zoom uh, room that you're going to be running tomorrow. So tomorrow, um, I'm going to do a, a comedian's show and tell. So okay. since people are in their house, they're just going to choose something that they'll share nice. and, and just talk about it and give some background. And then the other comics will ask questions. So it's just like show and tell that you did in second grade. Nice. That's going to be good. Um, and you'll have that posted up probably on your uh, Instagram or Facebook. Yeah. I don't know if I will record it, but if it goes well, I plan on having some other ones and maybe even doing one ones with pe pe people who stutter to raise m money for an organization because mm. the nonprofits are also hurting right now too. So, yeah. That's another area I've been thinking about, uh, the, the food banks and whatnot. Um, we got to start if we can, if we can, we got to start. I mean, yeah. right now I'm lucky I'm still employed, but I think all of us are, you know, it's risky. Okay. I can't, I can't let you go without this one. Yes. I, I, I am a fan of mean Dave. I can't claim to be his friend. He's been on the podcast actually twice. I've had him on the podcast uh, one time when I did it from pick your poison. And then another time me and him podcasted uh, in your book. I can't believe he, he approved this. You wrote about him being your bridesmaid. Oh yeah, of course. Now the people want to know, did he have a cummerbund on or not? Oh, no, I, it wasn't that kind of wedding. No, of course not. I, I told my bridesmaids to wear black and they could wear whatever black they wanted to. Okay. <laughs> right. And he had lots of black. So Yes, me and Dave has plenty of black. No, when I read that, I was picturing like the 16 candles, cummerbund maybe, and a bow tie. I was hoping anyway. He, he's not a hack, so <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> nice. Okay. So speaking of hack, we're moving on to the hack part of the, sh part of the show. This is something I just added on Monday. Um, since all we get to do as comics now is write, um, and maybe zoom the zoom rooms, uh, I'm adding a new segment and this is a very painful segment for both me and my guests. Uh, the segment is called laugh, heckle, or groan mm -hmm. and I'm gonna share with you what I've written today I'm gonna to, actually I'm gonna share three jokes I've written more but there's okay. most of them are so bad and at the end of my three jokes you get to say um, laugh heckle 
or groan. Okay. Okay, here we go. Nina, times are tough. We're all having to stay indoors. Most of us are adhering. But there was a church in Louisiana that decided to continue to hold its services. Not only did the pastor show up, but 1,000 of his parishioners showed up too. Surprisingly, the one parishioner who decided to not show up was God. He knows he made the virus. I like to find silver linings in all the trouble. So here we go. Here we go with the macabre stuff. (laughs) Hopefully you can appreciate this. We're in troubled times. The good thing about this plague is that it affects everyone. It affects the rich, the poor, the famous, the obscure alike. It's an inclusive virus, unlike that stuck-up HIV. Mm. That's it. Sorry. Okay. But you know what, Nina? I was a yeah. dumb kid. Okay, no, I actually like that one. Oh, yeah. you do? Okay. I was a dumb kid. Yeah, no, no, no. I think, yeah. I think, um, I think that's good. Okay, anyway, you were a dumb kid. Say more about that. I was, <laughs> I was a dumb kid, Nina. I never won any of the board games. The one time I won a game was Connect Four. I was so excited, I yelled, checkmate! Because I was a dumb kid. That's it. Laugh, heckle, okay. or groan. Um, so I w- and so I have to classify each of these as that? No, like- I was going to do classify each of them, but I think we can go with the overall. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I can't go overall. I mean, I think the HIV joke is, um, is the best one. Okay. Um, because I think it, it speaks to social issues as hmm. well as being like a lot of people have HIV jokes and this is yours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I think there's something there. I think the church one, um, I'd say a heckle on that because it needs to be developed more. Mm. Um, and also, I don't, th- I don't think God created the virus. I think that man created the virus because mm. it's the nature versus man oh, thing right, right. that philosophically we have, and, and nature is going to come back and, and bite us in the ass. And it has. Um, oh, it's a, it's a, yeah, it is its own uh, immunity, 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 I guess you would call it. Yes. Yes. Okay. And, and so there's that. Um, and then the dumb kid, uh, just, yeah, heckle that one. That was my favorite run, one I wrote today. <laughs> I was a dumb kid, but I get it. It's a dumb joke from a dumb kid. <laughs> okay. Well, see, that's a good, that, that's a good tag. That's a good transition processing kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I, um, that's it, Nina. Okay. I don't have any other questions. <laughs> um, yeah, is there any other? Obviously, we plugged the we plugged the book. So anyone listening, please go check out Stutter Interrupted. Um, and if you have children, once upon an accommodation, and uh, check out the Zoom tomorrow. Nina, this was yeah. so much fun. Yes, thank you. Lots of fun. I appreciate the time, and um, you know we'll we'll get to see each other soon, hopefully. Uh, let's hope. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope we're already extended out to May 1st, but, uh, and we're not going to be back in doing open mics immediately after this thing. I don't think. 
No, I don't think so either. So maybe I'll show up in one of the Zoom rooms and we'll bump into each other. Comes out. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah, I will see you around. Right on. Have a good one, Nina. Bye-bye. You too. Take care.